All right. Uh, I want to tell you a little bit today about a, an invention that uh, was announced in 2001. Okay, in 2001, the buzz began. People were waiting for this mystery to be revealed. You might have remembered hearing something about it. It was uh, a buzz on the internet. People were uh, talking about it. They were um, thinking about it. There were chat rooms designated to it. It was called different things. It was called Ginger. Uh, some, uh, some people were calling it just plain It with a capital I. They didn't know what to call it. Uh, there was an entrepreneur. His name was Dean Kamen. He was uh, a college dropout, uh, and, and he was claiming this invention, and it was called the Segway Human Transporter. Anybody ever hear that? He was saying that it would transform the world of transportation. Before its unveiling, Steve Jobs said this, it could be as significant as the personal computer. Um, Cayman had earned a reputation as an inventor because he had uh, done some great work before. He had invented the first insulin pump, right? Interesting. He had uh, invented the first portable kidney dialysis machine. Before it was unveiled, the rumor was that it would be a hovercraft or per perhaps, I like this one, a helicopter backpack. Don't know who would wear that. Or a teleportation pod, like you might have seen in the Jetsons. Anybody remember the Jetsons, right? And they would get in the, the teleportation pod. They thought it might be like that. Um, some said it would be a hydrogen-powered or hydrogen-driven uh, machine by the, like the high-tech Sterling engine. So a lot of people were wondering, and they were waiting, and they were excited. Does anybody remember this? The build-up to the Segway human transporter. People began talking about it on the internet for almost a year leading up to it with all kinds of fantastical rumors being strewn about. The United States Postal Service, the National Park Service, and Amazon.com had all been using prototypes. But when it was actually unveiled for the first time on the Today Show, it was obvious that it was little more than a motorized scooter with some gyroscopes. Its average speed, if you didn't know, is 8 miles per hour. It can go as fast as 12 miles per hour, and it was unveiled with a cost of about $3,000, and it had a range of only 15 miles. The 65-pound transporter, get this, cost over $90 million to design and create. When Diane Sawyer saw it for the first time, this is her quote. Literally, she said, that's it? <laughs> With a question mark. It failed, in other words, to live up to all the media hype. Uh, it was called a pogo stick on wheels. Some called it the mini chariot or a skateboard on steroids. It is an interesting device for those who have seen one or ridden on one. But obviously, <laughs> here we are nearly 20 years later, it has not changed the world of transportation. I tell you that because just before the birth of Jesus, to, to give you this idea, there was a similar feeling of expectation and hope. People were waiting, and they were wondering. They felt like something wonderful was about to happen. You see, the Scriptures had promised the coming of a Messiah. And as time had gone on, nearly 400 years uh, had passed since the last prophet. 
People were, were beginning to get anxious, and they knew something was coming. And the buildup, the hype was great. Rumors were rampant and that he was coming at any time. The, this feeling of expectation was, was welling up within them, that he was going to turn the world around, and he was going to deliver Israel from her enemies and establish his kingdom. And it was going to be great because finally everybody else was going to get what they had coming to them. He would usher in this kingdom of God, but they misunderstood the kingdom. If those same people who were so high with expectation had gone into that backyard stable in the town of Bethlehem on that starry night, they might have said, that's it? All that hype for this? But I think in this case, the reality ended up becoming greater than the expectation. We can look back now, 2,000 years later, and see that all the hype was maybe not quite enough. No one could have imagined the impact that the birth of this tiny baby to a traveling family in a manger would have changed world history the way that it did. And you know, the interesting thing is I don't believe that even Mary fully understood that the child she was carrying would make such a difference. I mean, she knew something was special. An angel had told her that. He had visited her and said what would happen. And we read in, in Luke chapter 1, in the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at this and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will be with child and give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord of God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. In spite of her fear, and in spite of being overwhelmed by the presence of such a powerful and magnificent being, she said, I am the Lord's servant. May it be as you have said. She had been thinking about this for quite a while when she went to visit her relative, Elizabeth, and her joy spilled into song. And that's what we're going to talk about today. By the way, as I get into this, you can find the sermon notes on the Bible app, the YouVersion Bible app, or go to the church's app and find them there. You know, we probably all know Christmas songs, right? Does everybody have a favorite Christmas song? My favorite is, uh, I saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus. Just kidding. I do like that one, though. <laughs> we probably all have favorites. I don't know how long ago you started listening to Christmas music for us. Uh, I think I've said before, as soon as Halloween's over, we get into it. We love Christmas. Silent Night. I'm dreaming of a white Christmas. And for a long time in Texas, I've been dreaming. <laughs> we probably all love caroling or at the very least singing Christmas carols which by the way join us for the uh, Christmas Eve service on Thursday night 
And uh, at 6.30, we'll be singing some Christmas carols that night. If you can't be here in person, make sure you watch online. You know, what other holiday gets its own genre of music, right? Have you thought about that? Christmas is obviously something that's, that's so important to people. The message of Christmas and, and the message of this season seems to permeate the fabric of our society. It's carried from generation to generation. The world has come to know the story of the birth of Jesus through Christmas songs. And I watch some of these um, Christmas movies, and they sing uh, Christmas carols, and I'm thinking, these, these guys are singing about Jesus, you know? And even some of the songs mention Jesus and the babe and, and the town of Bethlehem, and I'm thinking this is so exciting that, that they know the story of Jesus through these songs. I wonder how often people stop to really think about the meaning of the song. I don't know. You know, the song that Mary sang is not as prevalent as our Christmas carols. People don't know it quite as well. We don't go around singing it like a Christmas carol. Luke records this song of joy that Mary sang, and we call it Mary's song, or in the Latin, Mary's Magnificat if you've heard that before. And it's in Luke chapter 1, verses 39 through 56. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill, of, in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit. And in a loud voice, she exclaimed, "'Blessed are you among women,' And blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? I want to say before I, I move on. Imagine at this time, we, we kind of skip over this, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Remember, the Holy Spirit had not been unleashed yet because Jesus had not been crucified and resurrected yet. When he was crucified, the Holy Spirit was unleashed so that we have access to him just like that at this time the Holy Spirit was poured on her we would have a hard time understanding the special way that he was poured on her in this moment and she exclaimed with a loud voice blessed are you among women but why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me as soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears the baby in my womb leaped for joy blessed is she who has believed that what the Lord has said to her will be accomplished. And then Mary, this is Mary's song. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, even as he said to our fathers, Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. <coughs> it's interesting that you get peaks of the kingdom of God in what Mary said, right? 
Um, he has filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. Kingdom of God. All right, so let's talk about that word magnificat for a minute. It's wondering what it is. It is the Latin word for the magnifies. The Latin word for magnifies. And, and this was Mary's song. This is the song that, that she sang, a New Testament song of liberation, of personal and social and moral and economic liberation because people in her time were so we would have a hard time understanding in the United States of America how persecuted the people of her time were it's a revolutionary document of intense conflict and victory and really it leads to everything that we would learn about Jesus himself it's a beautiful statement and I would encourage you to at some time go through this and read through it and and find some commentary on it and and just let your mind sit in this during this Christmas season as we're looking at Mary's song today we can't forget the struggle that she was going through just imagine God has asked her to do the impossible. To give birth without a man. And the pregnancy that she had would lead to the redemption of the world. No pressure. <laughs> Can you imagine? God may have found favor with Mary... But then what does God ask her to do? He asked her to do something that was hard. He asked her to risk her body, to risk her marriage, to risk her reputation, to even risk her life. We all know the story that somebody in that time that was caught to be pregnant without a husband was to be stoned. It's the Old Testament law. She was risking her life by being pregnant before she was actually married to Joseph. And Joseph, by every right, should have and could have left her. What God asked her to do was nothing easy. And I think sometimes we, the weight of what he asked her to do is lost on us. Jesus, or God never promised that following him would be easy, only that it would be good. He never said, follow me and everything will be safe. In fact, following God is often unsafe. But he hasn't called us to be safe. Mary must have asked herself, what kind of strange God is this? What on earth is important enough to warrant this type of sacrifice? <laughs> he asked her to do the impossible. The next thing is this. The nature of God is revealed to us through Mary's song. When she asks, it maybe helps us answer the question, the most often asked question of who is God and who are we? I've told the story of um, St. Francis of Assisi. Have you guys heard of him before, St. Francis of Assisi? I've told some of his story before. Uh, he went to spend the night one time at the uh, the castle of a nobleman, an Italian nobleman, um, and was going to stay with him. So this Italian nobleman was curious about Francis' vitality. 
It was something that he was known for. So he arranged, little creeper, to have Francis stay in the room right next to him, in his chamber, right? So he could spy on him that night to see if he could get a glimpse into why Francis had such a, uh, a life of vitality, why he was so spry as he was getting older. As Francis went to bed that night, this Italian nobleman was standing outside of his door, watching, listening, just trying to get a glimpse, a hint. How could he benefit himself? All he saw was Francis kneel down at the bed before he went to sleep, and his prayer, he cried it out, O God, who art thou, and who am I? And he said that over and over. O God, who art thou, and who am I? Who art thou, and who am I? The biographer it concludes that this is one of the clues to St. Francis of Assisi's greatness. Because all of his life, he continued to ask the right questions. The telling of the Magnificat can be of great help to us. And what happened so long ago, we get a telling insight into the nature of God, but also into human nature. In fact, how the two can interact together so the creativeness of God can result. Somebody who's willing to do what God wants, who's willing to partner with God. God can do amazing things, if we will, because we don't know who God had picked before her, if anybody, right? We only know about Mary. And we know that our God is magnificent enough that if he has asked us to do something and we don't do it, he will still accomplish what he wants. So if Mary would have said no, it might have been somebody else. But because she said yes, he partnered with her and look at what happened. I think that's awesome. But I can say from experience, personal experience, God had asked Cerise and I to do something once upon a time. And we just kept dragging our feet and putting it off. And would you believe it wasn't very long later before somebody came to us and said, man, I've got this great thing that I think God's wanting me to do. And, and I've already made this thing and done this call. And it was the very thing God had been talking to us about. <laughs> we decided then, whenever God asks us, we want to jump on it, man. Because we know that God's creativity can produce greatness. Here's the last thing. The very best for the very worst. I'm afraid that we've heard the song of deliverance and the love of God so often that we have forgotten the wonder of it all, right? We hear about it all the time and we talk about it on Christmas and we talk about it at Easter and, and there's this, this greatness that's going on and sometimes because we become so familiar with it, we forget the wonder of it all. Here's the wonder of it all that I'm picking up here. God has the song of the, the Magnificat. God has chosen to express the very best on behalf of the very worst. God has given the very best on behalf of the very worst. In our culture, the opposite is true. The worst of humanity is sacrificed to preserve the very best. 
but not so with God. The very best, like Jesus and like Mary, are asked to sacrifice and to suffer for the least. It's such a hard thing to understand, and, and even as our kids are growing, and I'm, I'm trying to help them understand that it's our job to serve. It's our job to help. It's our job to sacrifice on behalf of the very worst. So who is God? St. Francis never quit asking, who art thou and who am I? And his response was this. This is what St. Francis of Assisi said. He is the one who made all things and who loves everything he has made. It is not the will of this Father that any should perish, but that all should be won back to life. God is the one who trades the very best on behalf of the very worst. So what is the good news of the Magnificat? The good news is that salvation can be had by all. It is not limited to anybody. A relationship with God does not come by an overpowering force, but with a change of heart, a change that leads to a spiritual awakening. He doesn't overwhelm us and force us to choose Him, but He comes alongside of us and woos us and draws us to Him. I don't know if you know the story of the evangelist D.L. Moody. Everybody knows him. I'm sure his name. He tells the story about how he heard an evangelist one night, and, and the evangelist says, this century has yet to see what God could do with one person fully committed to his will. So D.L. Moody, he said, you know what? I'm going to be that person. <laughs> and he went back to where he had a job as, at a shoe store, he quit that job and he became the evangelist that we know today because he recognized that he could participate in the miracle of bringing God's kingdom to this earth, which is exactly what Mary did. The miracle of bringing the kingdom of God to this earth. So the question this morning is, are we willing, like Mary, to forsake ourselves, join with God, and realize His kingdom on this earth? She answered with a song that, in spite of the hardship she surely would endure, caused her to join forces with God and ushered in a new era, the one that brought redemption and salvation to everybody all because Mary said yes so what's the next miracle that God wants to do with you with me we just need to say yes where's the next round of redemption going to come from will people know the salvation of Jesus Christ because of our life are we willing to say yes? That's what he's asking. Let's pray. God, man, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for all of the good things in our life. We thank you for Jesus, and we thank you for his mother, for Mary, that she said yes. <laughs> and you asked her to do something that was very hard. Some of us have 
done things that were hard with you as well, but perhaps none of us anything more difficult than what you asked of her. So I pray that you would help us to remember that you have called us to bring your kingdom. And all that we do is to see people come to know Jesus Christ. So God, I ask you that you would help us to love like Jesus so that lives are changed, that we can partner with you to see many people come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. In Jesus' name we pray these things.